Welcome to TCC Alive, a podcast of Tulare Community Church. Hey, TCC. Uh, well, as our intro video indicated, we are in a sermon series entitled Embracing Our Name 2.1. 2.1 because it's 2021 and also because this is a continuation of a sermon series that we began last year on Embracing Our Name to Larry Community Church. Our mission is the Great Commission, to be disciples and to make disciples. But we live that out in particular, targeted, tangible, and meaningful ways as a local church. We are a church. We are a congregation of people who profess Christ. We do charity, and we serve, and we do good things, and help meet needs. But we are not simply a 501c3. No, we're a church. And fundamentally, what the church offers the world is truth, the truth that sets men free. And we profess that truth in community, here as a community of believers growing and maturing and encouraging, strengthening one another by our proclamation of God's truth in fellowship as a community, as well as professing Christ to our local community. We are located in Tulare. We occupy a time and space, and we recognize that God has called us to be his ambassadors and has raised us up for this particular place at this particular time. We are Tulare Community Church, and we want to embrace what our name is meant to signify. And so we've been looking at a series of mission principles that we've identified that are focus areas for us, that, we, that sort of flow into the broader vision of embracing our name. So as Tulare Community Church, we want to be contributors, not consumers. As Tulare Community Church, we want to be multipliers, not maintainers. As Tulare Community Church, we want to be a church, not a social club. And today, our mission principle as Tulare Community Church is seek the one while loving the 99. Seeking the one, loving the 99. In our TCC weekly email sent out each week, uh, we've been sharing summaries of these mission principles. Here's what we wrote about this one. We believe that God has a heart for the lost. As a church, we want to align ourselves with the heart of the Father, finding the lost, seeking out the overlooked, and raising up the downtrodden. We righteously pursue the lost while not neglecting our own household or what God has entrusted to our care. By God's Spirit, we love one another deeply and joyfully seek the outcast to enfold them into our community. What do you think? Good statement? I think it sounds pretty good. You know, I, I might be a little bit biased. I, I did kind of write it. Uh, but is it biblical? Is it scriptural? See, we want everything that we believe to be firmly grounded on the word of God. And so we're going to take a look at the scriptures that we derive these concepts from. So uh, open up your Bibles, if you will, or follow along on the screen. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 18, uh, beginning in verse 10. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away... Will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. That is the word of the Lord. Okay, so that's Matthew. 
Uh, but maybe keep your place there and flip on over to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 15. This is what this says. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Kind of interesting, isn't it? It's the same story. It's the same concept, but it's a different context. In Luke, Jesus is talking to Pharisees who are looking down on tax collectors and sinners, people who are living outside of the law of Moses. But in Matthew... He's talking to his disciples, and he's warning them about looking down on children. That's what launches that parable. Same story, same concept, but different context. You know, I think that's important because there is a myriad of ways in which we can look down on people. There's a myriad of ways of marginalizing, a myriad of ways in which we fail to see people as God sees people. Maybe it is because of their sin, the severity of their sin, the grossness of their sin, or the way that they seem to delight in their sin, where we just cannot stand them, right? Tax collectors. And nobody really likes the IRS, but I'm not sure that quite resonates with us in modern times, right? Tax collectors. So uh, do this. Find the sin that is the most repulsive to you and put it in that context, right? Jesus, the Son of God, sitting down, sharing a meal with Planned Parenthood. What does that stir in your heart? Or Jesus uh, sitting down, sharing a meal with the LGBT community. What does that do in your heart? You can kind of understand why the Pharisees ask him, right, right, Jesus, what are you doing? Right? It says this in Mark. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. That's the whole point. That's the whole point. We seek out the lost because they're lost, not because they're good. Not because they're righteous, not because they deserve it, they don't. But neither did we. Neither did we, we who uh, consider ourselves part of the 99. You know, using the same analogy, the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 53, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him, that's Jesus, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
Romans declares, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were sinners and Jesus died for us. We were sick and Jesus healed us. We were lost and Jesus sought us out. You know, is it any wonder that Jesus constantly points us to humility? That's how our passage in Matthew starts. Verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a child to himself and set him among them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you change and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. What does he mean by that? Change and become like children. Like children. In, in what way? Well, he explains in the next verse, verse 4. So whoever will humble himself like this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. When Jesus says, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners, isn't that everybody? But people in the pride of their hearts can feel like, oh, he's not talking about me. In, the, in their pride, in their arrogance, they think, ah, I'm not sick. I don't need a doctor. I'm not a sinner. I keep the law. I don't need a savior. And if that's our starting position, well, then yeah. Jesus has nothing for you. Because Jesus came to call the unrighteous. Jesus came to rescue sinners from their sin. You know, our, our pride can keep us from entering the kingdom of God, and it can keep others from entering also. If we're to be a church that seeks the lost, it's going to start in humility. You know, it's the funniest thing. I, I somehow have no problem imagining Jesus sitting down and sharing a meal with me. But Jesus sitting down and, and sharing a meal with uh, the Ku Klux Klan... Jesus sitting down and, and sharing a meal with white supremacists. Jesus sitting down and, and sharing a meal with Democrats. That one was a joke. Or was it? Because here's the thing. Sin is not the only way that we marginalize or look down on one another. There are different contexts. In Luke... It's about sin. In Matthew, it's about status. There's a myriad of ways in which we look down on one another. Maybe it is politics. You know, there's certainly no shortage of vilification across the aisles, right? It's the, it's the godless communist pinkos and the racist fascist Nazis. And put in those terms, yeah, why would we ever want them to be a part of our flock? Now, I'm not saying that Christians shouldn't be politically engaged, and I'm certainly not saying that every political issue is morally neutral. I don't think it is. But we can be so politically consumed that our hearts are not in alignment with God, where we fail to seek others out in humility because we don't remember that God sought us out. And it wasn't because we were good wasn't because we deserved it. 
It wasn't because of our social status. It wasn't because we had the right party affiliation. It was because God loved and cared for us as he loves and cares for others. That's the point. That's the point that Jesus is making in our passage. Don't look down on them because God loves them and cares for them as he loves and cares for you. This is the heart of the Father. 1 Timothy chapter 2. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Is that our heart? We want all people to be saved? I know that we say that. In theoretical terms, we believe it. But in reality, when I hear those pompous, arrogant, wicked little cretins blaspheme and and mock God, I don't really care if they perish. But, But is that seeing them and seeing myself through God's eyes? You know, the church, to its credit, has cared for the marginalized throughout history and has seen the humanity where the rest of the world didn't. It was Christians that that led the abolitionist movement. It was Christians that built the first orphanages and the first hospitals. It was Christians that rescued infants during the first century that were discarded because of a deformity or because they were born the wrong gender, as was common practice. And it is Christians to this day that recognize the humanity of the unborn. And as a church, we want to live into that legacy, searching for the lost, caring for the marginalized, raising up the downtrodden. That's what we hope to do in our reach-out programs, like Reaching Higher or the Village of Hope or our partnership with Roosevelt Elementary. Or the care portal, which connects the church to our county foster system. So we're helping families stay together, providing placement for foster children and even potential adoption. Seeking the one. We want to be about that as a church. Seeking the one. Seeking the one. But loving the 99. Seeking the one while loving the 99. Oh, as we've read, God does desire that people be saved. But it's not at any cost. It's it's not just on any terms. No, he won't do that. You know, listen to this account in Mark. It says this. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. 
Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Now, don't get too lost in the trappings here. This is primarily a theological correction. This rich man believes that he has obeyed the law and that he can earn his way into the kingdom of God. And Jesus tells him, no, you can't. And so he gives him a task that he knows he will fail to demonstrate that it is impossible for man to earn their salvation. And we can unpack that a little bit more at some other time. But what I really want us to see here is that Jesus loves him and Jesus lets him walk away. Jesus loves him and Jesus lets him walk away. When Jesus sends out his disciples, he says this to them. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. Oh, God wants people to be saved, but not at any cost and not just on any terms. God takes no for an answer, and so should we. You know, there are too many churches that won't take no for an answer. There are too many pastors that will preach whatever your itching ears want to hear. You don't like that this is a sin? doesn't have to be you don't like this theology we'll change it whatever it takes to bring you into the fold because we have a heart for the lost but getting yourself lost saves no one and that really is the furthest thing from love it harms the one and it harms the 99 It doesn't bring more people into the fold. It leads more people astray. In our chapter in Matthew, Jesus warns us about this. He says this, If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come. But woe to the person through whom they come. We seek the one, but not at any cost. Not at the cost of truth. Not at the cost of the 99. You know, there is somewhat of a natural tension between seeking the one and loving the 99. In Luke, uh, Jesus tells three stories. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. That's the prodigal son, right? A a really well-known story. So the son demands his inheritance from his father, essentially wishing that his father was dead. And then he goes off to a foreign land and he squanders his inheritance in sinful living until he's completely destitute. And then it says this, When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. 
So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come back, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Oh, there's a tension that can occur between seeking the one and loving the 99 and churches don't always get it right and there can even be uh, resentment i think that we've experienced that at times you know there's a film called uh, stuck in love and it starts and it ends on thanksgiving and in the story uh, there's this father and his wife has left him and is with another man But despite that, every Thanksgiving, the father sets out a plate for her at the dinner table. And his daughter can't understand this. She hates her mother for what she did, and she resents her father for saving a place for her. But later on, her father explains it to her. He confesses that that long ago, he also cheated on her and left her. But she forgave him and accepted him back. And so he made a promise to her that he would always wait for her no matter what, like she did. And what strikes me about that is that Jesus tells us that those who have been forgiven much love much. And as we've heard, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It it does not boast. It isn't proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Here's the final scene of that film. Mom? Hey. Um. I kind of pictured your dad opening the door. Could you shut it and go get him? 
What are you doing here? I got a little lost. I was just... I was wondering if there's still a place for me here. And I, I completely understand if there isn't, because I know that I really... I really don't deserve it. I'm so sorry. We got food in here. You do? Yeah. I got a little lost. You know, it's not a Christian film by any means, but I, I can think of few other films that so accurately capture the spirit of the prodigal son. It's a story that still resonates even with those who don't claim Christ because we see ourselves in it. That we all have a need for forgiveness in a place at the table. And that's what I think it looks like to seek the one and love the 99. That we are a family uh, sharing a meal in fellowship with thanksgiving, but always with a space for others at the table. Because Jesus left a space for you. Thanks for listening. If you want to know more about the ministries and mission of Tulare Community Church, visit us at tccalive.org.